Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you're snacking on anything but tasty cake, you're making a huge Miss Cake. A fistful of chocolate covered raisins? Miss Cake. A spoonful of peanut butter? Bigger Miss Cake. Or the worst Miss Cake of all, your kid's Halloween candy, and it's April. If it's not tasty cake, it's a Miss Cake, because nothing satisfies like a perfectly sweet butterscotch crimpet or rich and creamy chocolate peanut butter candy cake. Tasty Cake, except no substitutes. Welcome back to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined as usual by my partner and banter, the one and only Mr. Daniel Feinberg, THR's chief TV critic. What's up, Dan? I missed you last week. Leslie, did you miss me? I really did. I even asked you, I think I emailed you over the 4th and said, should we do like a little mini Twitter TV's Top 5? I did not think the Twitter was necessarily where we wanted to attempt to reproduce a podcast. But yes, definitely there was an itch last week when we got towards the end of the week and we didn't have a forum to say anything. Fortunately, there was no actual news then. On the other hand, over the course of two weeks, there's been a lot of news, hasn't there been, Leslie? There has, and that's what's called a segue to our little mini headlines section. Back from the Independence Day holiday, let's take a quick run through the headlines. Netflix shelled out what is said to be an eye-popping sum for rights to a Sandman TV series from creator Neil Gaiman and exec producer David Goyer. Sources say it's the most expensive TV show DC has ever produced. In other Netflix news, the streamer has renewed The Society for a second season, picked up Cuphead, an animated series based on the video game of the same name, and ordered a Norse mythology anime series from Zack Snyder. As if that's not enough, Katherine Heigl will star in Netflix soap Firefly Lame. See Man, that? if you could just get Katherine Heigl in a David Goyer scripted project, I would not watch the heck out of that. <laughs> In other news, the Walking Dead comics, the source of what has become a multi-billion dollar franchise, ended with a surprise dropped issue number 193, a supersized issue, a great ending to the series if you're a fan of that. Um, elsewhere, Tracy Oliver, the co-writer of Hit Girls Trip, is teaming with the amazing Amy Poehler for an Amazon scripted comedy series that, well, the logline kind of sounds a lot like Girls Trip, which is not a bad thing. Elsewhere, HBO's Divorce, the Sarah Jessica Parker comedy, will end with its current third season. Winona Earp, the cult hit that had been stalled because of a lack of funding from producers IDW, is back on track to air next year on Sci-Fi. And ABC's Viola Davis vehicle, How to Get Away with Murder, the, one of the three remaining Shondaland dramas at ABC, will end next season with its sixth and final season, as ABC's Shondaland roster shrinks to just two. 
I, I don't want to be one of those that shows still on people, but man, I'm astounded that apparently this is the sixth season of How to Get Away with Murder that's coming up. I lost track of that show two thirds of the way through the second season and... You lasted longer than I did. I think I tapped out at the mid-season finale when I was supposed to interview the creator and watch the episode, which was not sent out under embargo, and just realized I had nothing to ask. <sighs> well, the only thing I would ask is I hope Viola Davis got a very nice renovated deck out of this show or and something her, yeah, significantly more. Yeah, I'm sure more. upgraded her jacuzzi, which she speaks about frequently. Yeah, and good, you know, look, again, we said this about Walton Goggins on the Unicorn. We can say it about Viola Davis here. Viola Davis is fully deserving of someone buying her a nice jacuzzi and renovated deck and if she's been able to continue to do other things and all signs point to her being able to continue to do other things why shouldn't she do I mean, six this, seasons of a forgettable tv show and this show has been an insane platform for her too it's really helped her break through and not that she wasn't already successful but this really gave her the you know the emmy platform after winning and winning so many awards for this show it really helped people see her as more than just an actress you know she's a social activist also you know i know you said beyond an actress but she's also inc incredibly great she is still very good on that show. Trapped I'm on assuming. a very bad show. <laughs> I don't even. I don't even know if it's very bad. I don't know what the show currently is, but that's okay. Rest in peace. How to get away with it's, murder? It's twisty. That's all I know. <laughs> True story. Well, that takes us to our first topic of the week. Number one. Leading off. We told you this day was coming, and now here we are. Friends is officially leaving Netflix. This week, Warner Media announced that its streaming service, now officially called HBO Max, would officially be the exclusive streaming home of the former NBC comedy. Of course, this is something we've been talking about since our very first episode of the podcast, Dan. And look, it arrives just two weeks after news broke that The Office would be leaving Netflix as well for NBC's unnamed platform. Netflix is dead. No one's ever going to watch Netflix again. Rest in peace, Netflix. Oh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Sorry, that was just me reacting. Sarcasm, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you had to explain to our faithful listeners sarcasm. <laughs> no, we, we have been talking about this for four months and it was inevitable. And really and truly, the fact that Friends is going to this Warner Brothers platform is much less news than the fact that this Warner Brothers platform now actually has a name, and it's a stupid name. <laughs> I mean, it's not Warner Media Plus, so there's some significance to I HBO Max? I don't know, because at least then you're fitting in with the trend. In this case, I don't understand why Warner Brothers would be diluting the uh, HBO brand name with this. But it's and also going to have all things HBO on it, which means the entire library of The Sopranos, Game of Thrones, all current series, all future series. So the upcoming J.J. Abrams original show, Joss Whedon's first shows in years, all going to be streaming on HBO Max. And so. you know what else will? Such uh, notable HBO branded programming as The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Pretty Little Liars. So those have now become part of the HBO franchise. And TBS and TNT content and CW content after that Netflix deal was not renewed back in May. The way everyone had been talking was that HBO was going to be something separate, that HBO was going to be kind of a crown jewel in its own standalone thing, as opposed to just sticking HBO's name onto a thing that is a motley assortment of bits and pieces for better or for worse. And that doesn't mean that this isn't going to be a good platform. Obviously, the things that this platform is going to have on it are 
impressive. Talk a bit about some of the originals that they announced, some of the new stuff that's actually going to be there. Well, in addition to all the new upcoming new shows, the, all the Warner Brothers produced shows for the CW, starting with Batwoman and the Riverdale spinoff Katie Keene, those will stream exclusively on HBO Max. Other shows that were under the Netflix deal, like Riverdale and Arrow and The Flash and all of those, will continue to stream new seasons on Netflix until those shows come to their fitting conclusions. But in terms of other originals, this week HBO Max announced that the platform will have three young adult-focused movies from Greg Berlanti and two feature films produced by Reese Witherspoon's company. In terms of other originals, um, over the break, Kaylee Cuoco announced that she is doing her post-Big Bang Theory follow-up role is going to star in a thriller called The Flight Attendant for HBO Max. Berlanti is also producing that. Um, And in news very relevant to you, Dan, um, one of your favorites, Gremlins, an animated prequel series, has been greenlit for HBO Max as well. On top of that, I mean, there's a ton of content. There's an Ansel Egord show called Tokyo Vice, an Anna Kendrick anthology from Paul Feig called Love Life, a new Dune scripted series focusing on the women of that world. It's basically a lot of new high profile stuff with big names attached and a lot of IP. Man, Gremlins plus an Ansel Egord show. Wow. Elgord? Ansel Elgord? Elgord? Egord? Alden Ehrenreich? Are they all the same person? Anyway. Just fantastic. and But they did not, of course, announce cost on this, right? Not yet. Okay. Not officially yet. No. <laughs> Once again, making you appreciate that Disney just came out with that number when they announced Disney+. Plus, Like, just how much of a baller move that was for them announcing a price that no one else has been able to do the same thing because I think that price point scared a lot of people. I mean, six ninety nine <laughs> for all things Marvel, all things Star Wars, Pixar. Oh, and by the way, we've got 300 plus episodes of The Simpsons. I mean... Yeah. So, okay. So HBO Max, whatever. Do we have a clue yet what this means for any of the other Warner Brothers streaming services? That to me is the bigger question right now. So my reporting I've been told is that all of those other services, so HBO Now, HBO Go, DC Universe, which we've talked a lot about on this podcast before, the CWC, those will all remain as is for now. But when you think about it, CWC, I believe, is a free platform that features a ton of library content, some good, some obscure. And, I, you know, I would think that that, that all of that kind of content would move over to HBO Max, because as we've learned, library content is a great backbone for a service. My bigger question still remains what the future of DC Universe is, you know, especially following a show like Swamp Thing, which, you know, they knew was a creative misfire and kind of cut it off before its original episodes could be filmed. So I think it cut it, what I'm trying to remember, it was like 13 to 10 and canceled it after, you know, its first week. But that's still library content. And what's interesting to me is DC Universe has a function outside of its home for original programming and library stuff. And that is that it's a home for thousands, maybe millions, I don't know, of digital comic books from DC Comics. That's massive. So... I also don't know that that's a fit for whatever HBO Max is. Like, I don't think, you know, the fanboy audience is going to go look to read Superman comics on a platform called HBO Max. It just comes down to whether at a certain point everything becomes under that on one one umbrella and just how the price point is going to work for any of this, because some people are presumably going to want one thing or the other or whatever. And it sounds like there could be as many as two, three, four other four pay platforms that could be sometimes yoked under the HBO Max umbrella, but sometimes not. Again, and we say this over and over again, 
this a la carte system was supposed to make everything clearer and neater and more about choice. And with every single passing week, it becomes harder and harder. And consumers, or me, I don't care if, if I'm alone on this, but I know I'm not, You're not definitely are not. just looking for ways to simplify again. I mean, this is the origins <laughs> of cable TV. You know, remember way back when cable bundling became a whole big thing, eventually that's going to happen. There's going to be a streaming bundle that, you know, it's just a matter of time because we're seeing the streaming ecosystem follow the same steps and the same growing pains of what happened when cable really expanded. And I don't know, though, if, if we were supposed to think that part of why people started cutting the cord and all of that was because there was a problem with the cable business model. And so I wonder when cable 2.0 or cable plus or cable max, whatever it is, when it when it comes up, like, are there mistakes that were made in the original cable infrastructure that are going to be corrected? This is all becoming too complicated. Yeah, but it's also very similar, you know, like what happens to some of these niche cable networks, you know, in the peak TV era? Some of them have gotten out of scripted. Some of them have folded completely. You know, it, it's a larger question. I think we'll see some of that, especially as pertaining to things like CW Seed and what's going on with all things Warner Brothers. We'll see some of those growing pains on the streaming side, too. How can there only be one Greg Berlanti? And how does anyone expect that it's at a certain point? your basic elastic band is going to snap. I don't want to know what's going to happen when Greg Berlanti gets to his 30th TV show and his 15th movie and suddenly he just goes nuts. I don't want Greg Berlanti to go nuts. I mean, he currently has a TV record of 18 shows. And look, Greg just had one of his shows canceled, CBS limited series, The Red Line. And then he followed that up with the green light for the Kaylee Cuoco show. So he's right back up to 18 shows. He still has a feature film deal with Fox. But look, he's been bulking up his production company, which is based at Warner Brothers, of course. And the more people he hires, the easier his job gets. But he's still hands-on. The easier on. his job gets. Well, I don't he, think I would describe less, it as easier. Work. But you know, <laughs> if he has people that he can that he can share the workload with and depend on to do that job, I mean, you know what I'm saying, Dan. <laughs> I don't Come think on. it becomes less work. I just think it becomes possible. Well, I think that's all it he is. He is able to use his time as he needs to because he continues to bulk up Berlanti Productions with good people who can assist him in, help, in doing everything that he's doing. So 18 shows and three movies and raising two kids and his husband and etc. So not that he's raising his husband. This is a <laughs> terrible segue, but you get the point. I I worry about Greg Berlanti is all I'm saying. He's he's too valuable a resource to uh, go crazy. Yes. Well, that feels like a non segue into our second topic. Batting second this week and speaking of things that are busy and peppered with Greg Berlanti shows, let's talk about Comic-Con. Number two. Running July 18th through 21st, San Diego Comic-Con is just around the corner. The Hollywood Reporter's team of intrepid film, TV, comic book, and video game journalists will be on site covering all the madness. But on the TV side, Dan, look no further than a good example of peak TV when you really look at the schedule. There's 60 panels alone just for TV shows. When you get near the convention center in San Diego... You're just inundated with marketing materials. It's just everywhere. Show banners hanging from the side of Petco Park, you know, elevators wrapped in promotional materials for like The Walking Dead. And it's everywhere, Dan. Lashley, let me go back in time with you. When I was just a wee lad and I went to Comic-Con for the first time, there were so few panels for television that I could just walk into the panels myself. No lines, no passes, none of that. Sorry. All I'm saying is that's back, terrifying, Dan. Please back, never do that again. Back in the day, this used to be a really—it was never like an intimate 
convention, not in my lifetime. I know that some people who have been there going for 30 years will say, ah, when we were there, it was two ballrooms and you could just drink with Stan Lee at the bar. I remember Robert Kirkman telling me one year that his very first Comic-Con, he rolled up in a rented van, paid for it all himself, and he wound up losing money. Yeah, those days have passed and it is remarkable and terrifying and i am going to be perfectly honest i do not feel at all bad that i will not be going this year i covered eight or nine or ten comic cons that felt like plenty i hear however that you are making a triumphant return to comic con this year leslie is that true i swore i would never go back but there are a few things in this world that will get me to do so one of them being brooklyn 99 i'll be moderating that panel on uh, saturday night the night shift with the 99 for nbc and honestly you know i mean my first comic con i used to when i grew up i worked at a comic book store and we used to go down and man the golden apple booth at san diego comic con and I remember going, and this was in the 90s, early, very early 90s, and you would set up at, at your table and people would just walk by and just look for all your free pins. It, you know, collecting pins and buttons was like a huge thing at the time. And that's when the convention floor was something you could navigate very easily and you didn't need a map to find where everyone was located. It is just, it's so big that it's become almost impossible to cut through. If you're a new show that that's genre focused or even some that aren't, I mean, look, I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but is it a show? that belongs at Comic-Con? Does Superstore belong at Comic-Con? Did Glee originally belong at Comic-Con? The answer is no, but now it's such a big marketing event that you really need to be there. And, you know, I think some networks have kind of reduced resources and others continue to, to go full steam hard and spend a lot of money with crazy big activations. Amazon's got, got like some huge, massive activation, like multiple floor level thing outside the convention center. It's a lot. And, and the thing is, I don't know that you hear anymore about shows that Comic-Con, quote unquote, made. You know, back in the day, you used to be able to talk to people and they would remember being in the room for that first Chuck panel. And I was in the room for that first Chuck panel and I remember the reaction from the crowd. And it was something where you could actually go, OK, I don't know if 25 million people are going to watch this show, but I know this is a show that 7 million people are going to watch and care about deeply. And I don't know that you've heard that for years coming out of Comic-Con. So a lot of the biggest things this year on the slate are kind of returning shows and established favorites. Looking at our handy Hollywood Reporter list of TV panels, parties and activations, you know, if I could be teleported into Hall H, guaranteed a comfortable seat, and then teleported out immediately afterwards, I would love to be there for the Game of Thrones panel featuring David Benioff and D.B. Weiss just to see what the reaction is. I'm very curious who's going to moderate that panel because this will be the first public appearance that Benioff and Weiss have made since the divisive series finale. And it's a big question if they're going to be asked at all about that or if this is just going to be like a stroll down memory lane that they'll moderate themselves and really avoid any of those hot button issues and you know if I'm an audience member I'm I rush that mic and ask all the big burning questions about that series finale and you know who knows if they'll actually do that if I'm an audience member I rush the mic and ask them to read my spec script for a prequel and then ask uh, Maisie Williams for her name placard so we're clearly doing very different things at this imaginary appearance at this yeah, panel don't don't ask for name placards it's just don't <laughs> just ask good questions don't ask for selfies I don't know I'd asking for name placards is still better than asking for hugs I, I think uh, that's yeah, I will be very curious what it is. I do not suspect anyone's going to get into difficult questions about, say, for example, 
petitions urging people to rewrite <laughs> the entire the, <laughs> the entire final season with people who could write, I think probably that will not come up. Yeah, I'm uh, guessing not so much. <laughs> but yes, what what other things are big? That are, are you actually going to go to anything once you're there, or are you really going to attempt to teleport in and out of the room? I'm going for Brooklyn Nine Nine, and um, I'm going because the main part, reason I'm going is my cousin who lives in San Diego is actually moving to New York, so he asked for one last uh, hurrah at Comic Con. So that's a big reason why I'm going to San Diego. So I'm going to go. I'm going to moderate. I'm going to see some family, see some friends, maybe go to a party or two. But yeah, get me as far away from Hall H and the convention floor as possible. So that means you're not going to go to the Walking Dead panel? No, but we will have THR's amazing Josh Wiggler on hand to cover all things Walking Dead. What's going to be interesting about that, every year at Comic-Con, they drop the trailer for the next season. Last year, if you remember, Andrew Lincoln brought all of Hall H to tears when he officially confirmed his departure from the series. Of course, he didn't talk about the TV movies that he would wind up doing, so it's not a complete and total farewell, though he will not be there this year. I would question if Denai Guerrera will do the same thing this year. You know, as I reported exclusively a couple of months ago, she will be leaving in season 10. She's only going to film a handful of episodes, I've been told. And, you know, she really hasn't commented on it publicly. But this, you know, for all intents and purposes, this will be her last Comic-Con with the show. But yeah, so your list here... I would imagine anyway. That's not confirmed, but I mean, I can't imagine why she would come back. (laughs) She is a movie star, and she does not need The Walking Dead anymore at this point in her career. I think she she would be perfectly beloved at Comic-Con even without that, because that Black Panther movie also fairly loved. I would be curious what the reactions will be at uh, panels for Veronica Mars. I would be absolutely terrified to go anywhere near a panel for Rick and Morty. I, you know, that's another one where I don't think you could put me within, I don't know, half a mile of that. I think that'd be dangerous. And uh, you're just talking about the crowds, too. I mean, oh, that, that's a huge show, Comic-Con. I mean, it's a huge show anywhere. I am, in fact, entirely talking about the crowds on that one. I'd be perfectly happy to hear the Rick and Morty people talk about the show for five minutes yeah, or th- 20 minutes. This is what I don't understand. Comic-Con could make millions of dollars if they live stream these panels. If you think about it, would you pay 99 cents to watch a, a live stream of the Game of Thrones panel? 99 cents, yes. Yeah, 99 cents to watch a Walking Dead panel, 99 cents no. to watch Rick and Morty. I no. Mean, I mean, I would, but like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, why these panels aren't, aren't live streamed, there's still going to be the demand to be in the room. They'll still sell out all the badges and all the hotel rooms, and it'll still be the same massively overcrowded pop culture event. But you could also turn this into a, a, something even bigger than it already is by live streaming these things. And it would make reporters' jobs so much easier. You know, reporters, I know it's like, you know, poor us, but like you have to negotiate to get a pass into the panel. Then you have to deal with really aggressive rent-a-cops pursuing and, you know, and patrolling the, the press section. You've been here. The panel just ended. I know you're still writing your story, but get the hell out. Like, it's awful. Live stream this stuff. Comic-Con, and I know you're not listening, but if you, by chance you are, live stream your panels. Yeah, my my fondest Comic-Con memories mostly involve being threatened by security guards for attempting to charge my laptop against the Yeah, I almost the wall. got kicked out because I was trying to charge my laptop around the corner from Hall H before the final Dexter panel. That was fun. So yeah, so that is that is starting next Thursday and Friday, but we wanted to give you a preview of I guess that Leslie's going to Comic-Con and that I'm excited not to in advance. We will have full coverage from our team down in San Diego at THR.com slash Comic-Con. We'll have all the latest trailers and deep dive analysis. And, you know, the only thing I'm really looking forward to hearing what happens is what Benioff and Weiss say about Game of Thrones. Or if they even address it at all. You'll have to let me know. And remember, if you see me down at Comic-Con, it's some other Jewish guy with a beard. (laughs) 
Well, speaking of all things genre, let's uh, move on to our third topic of the week and, and talk season three of Stranger Things. Number three. The newest season of the Duffer Brothers homage to the 1980s sci-fi debuted on the 4th of July and according to Netflix and to some extent Nielsen, it's a big hit. Netflix says 40.7 million member accounts have watched at least part of season three. If you buy into the streamer's selective data reveals, that's the fastest a Netflix original has ever accumulated an audience that sizable. Netflix also said that 18.2 million member households have finished the eight episode season and this within its first three days of release. Of course, the streamer considers a view as a member account that has watched 70% of one episode of a series. Meanwhile, ratings measurement firm Nielsen said that 8.9 million U.S. viewers watched at least one minute of the series premiere and 824,000 U.S. viewers watched the entire eight episode season on day one. But that's with a six minute qualifier. Dan, there's a lot of qualifiers. I don't know. It was my understanding there was to be no math. What the No math. What is this? What the listeners don't know is that we just spent... 10 minutes with our producer, Josh, trying to explain what a view per minute or a minute view or whatever that data means. And neither one of us, I think, was able to come away with an actual takeaway on it. Look, I can kind of go. Neil, it's average viewers (laughs) for the episode, a.k.a. the closest approximation for streaming of what you see in regular Nielsen ratings. And that is from our intrepid ratings guru reporter, Rick Porter. Reporter Rick Porter. Reporter Rick Porter. Yeah, I, I still, I mean. Look, I get, let's just say 18.2 million member households finishing the eight episode season sounds like an impressive piece of information. It does. I mean, <laughs> like in, in other news, water is wet. Yes, Stranger Things is a big hit for Netflix. We've been told Nielsen is somewhat, I think, sort of confirming that Netflix and their selective ratings dump is confirming that too. But I mean, look, when you start to see toys and and, uh, clothing lines pop up in Target, you know it's a big hit. Sheets, bed sheets. I was just in Target the other day buying a new comforter. I was like, ooh, but do I want to instead get a Stranger Things comforter? The answer to that question, by the way, is no. No, no, I did not. (laughs) But but I still did see it and had the brief moment of, ooh, that's a cool thing that even 12-year-old Dan probably would not have wanted, and certainly 12-year-old Dan's parents would not have bought for him. I mean, there's no question of that at all. Uh, Yes. You didn't have Star Wars sheets as a kid? I didn't, I don't think. No, I had all sorts of other Star Wars stuff. It wasn't like I lacked for Star Wars stuff. I just, in my memory at least, and my parents will surely correct me on this, I don't remember having kitschy nostalgia sheets. That's that's just a thing. I mean, did I have pajamas that were Star Wars pajamas? Of course I did. And underoos were a big thing when I was a kid (laughs) in the 80s. Another lifetime. Another lifetime ago. See, everyone's got their old man voice. Um, (laughs) Yes. So in any case, the answer is yes. Lots and lots of people watch Stranger Things. Did you watch Stranger Things over the weekend? I didn't. And your review was actually pretty glowing. I kind of tapped out. Well, I thought parts of it were glowing. I was going to say Metacritic said my review was a 50, which. uh, Well, we'll put a number on your review, Dan. I would probably say 65. I think because I might. It was better than the season two review. I will say that. No, I liked season two. I I really did. What am I remembering? I don't know. You might be thinking about my review of Orange is the New Black, which was was definitely a positive review. That Um, I did finish already. But yeah, no, look. Uh, To me, this is briefly putting on my critics hat uh, before the Critics Corner segment a little bit later. I I thought it was fun and pleasant to watch. I also thought it 
pointed a lot to a certain creative repetitiveness uh, on the part of the Duffer brothers and to some degree was about the fact that it's hard to move forward sometimes but it's hard to figure out whether that that sort of knowing meta view of narrative is the same as actually doing anything fresh. I would love for a fourth season to have absolutely nothing to do with the upside down. There's no chance that that's going to happen, but I would love for that. I, you know, look, I know no one else missed those wacky punk kids from Chicago, and I probably don't either, but I did miss the attempt to get more of an understanding of Eleven and her situation and the character development. This season was basically negligible in terms of character development for anyone. And so that bugs me a little, but uh, whatever. It was, was it a perfectly fun show to watch? And do I understand why people ate it up like candy? For sure. No question. And there was a big homage to The, the Never Ending Story, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. There's that. There's uh, there's Terminator references, Day of the Dead references. Look, it, this continues to be a show basically designed for entertainment websites to list explainers of the 15 Stranger Things references you might or might not have noticed. And that can be found at THR.com slash Stranger Things. <laughs> it can, because, of course, if anyone's going to do something like that, I would trust Josh Wiggler to do a good job with that. But it's a little exhausting. But it's also part of the fun is all of the uh, references and, you know, did you catch it? Did you catch it? Well, yes, it was kind of obvious, but sure. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, not to talk about spoilers too much here, because you'll be doing that with Josh Wiggler on series regular next week. But one thing that that struck me was that Netflix depicted smoking a lot more in in their originals than shows on cable and broadcast, you know, and this somehow came out around Stranger Things. Was that something that you noticed in season three? I didn't. But that's just because apparently I'm not attuned to that. I also got a something from the Parents Television Council, which always likes to, uh, you know, rend their garments and tear out their hair, telling me that there was more swearing this season. And I, I'm surprised they noticed, considering how, how concerned they are with Euphoria, which, by the way, was just renewed for season two. Well, yes. And, uh, you know, Stranger Things had many fewer penises than Euphoria <laughs> and probably also less swearing. But... I, I'm not really honestly sure what they count as swearing. They like listed 360 examples of swearing or something. And I don't know if that includes, you know, damn or hell or shucky darn. I don't. I'm not even going to ask what that last one is. Shucky darn. Uh, <laughs> somewhat. At least three of our listeners out there are from a region where shucky darn is a uh, is a euphemism to some degree. You can keep saying it, but it doesn't mean that I know it's what it totally is. It's totally true. Uh <laughs> I don't know what they're counting. Also, it seems to ignore the fact that the characters on the show are a year and a half older than when we last saw them and are probably more prone to saying hell or damn or other words. And I would guess that by season six or seven, basically Stranger Things is going to be euphoria only with the Demogorgons. So... I'm there for that. Yeah, you know, but there's been a lot of conversation if this is a show that should go on to a season six or seven. I think there's a lot of speculation that season four could be its last, maybe season five. I know the Duffers have talked about maybe doing five or six. But, you know, what were your parting thoughts of how much life there is left in Stranger Things? I don't Like think, organic life in the story, I not don't think like Netflix being thirsty because they just lost friends in the office. I don't think that there's honestly any more life to the specific story that they're telling. I think, however, that there's endless 
simplest life to these characters and kind of the strange world that they live in. So if you were to ask me how many more seasons of the Upside Down and the Mind Flayer and the Demogorgon I want to watch, the answer is really none. If you were to ask me how many more episodes or seasons would I like to watch these kids grow up and go through their life and, you know, reach the late 80s and the early 90s, sure, I would do that in a second. So to me, watching this show, I have no sense of what a five-year plan looks like or a six-year plan. So if they move forward and do different things, I would love to see more of this show. I just really need them to move forward and do different things. Yeah. And I mean, at the same time, the cast has really all become breakouts and they're all busy doing other tons of other other work. I mean... So maybe one or two of them don't need to come back. That would be fine. Also, I think I think you could have the kids kind of rotate in and out. And if, say, for example, next season, Dustin really is just away at summer camp for the entire season. Oh, well, he can be back for season five. That doesn't that doesn't bother me at all. I think that this ought to be a show that is capable of having a revolving ensemble if that's what they want to do. And yeah, that that should not hold the show up. I just don't want them to keep going through the exact same motions forever. Yeah, well, that feels like a good point for us to move on to our fourth topic this week. Number four. Batting cleanup this week, let's talk about one of the more interesting summer programming bets this year. That's Love Island over at CBS. The dating competition, a mix of The Bachelor and Survivor, is based on the international format that set ratings records in the UK. CBS, in a big, big, big swing, is airing the series five nights a week for a month this summer. Each episode, of course, is shot and edited the day it airs, thanks largely to a 19-hour time difference between where the show is filmed in Fiji. The series premiered July 9th to a lackluster 2.6 million viewers and a 0.6 in the all-important Adults 18 to 49 demo, largely held steady on night two. Here to join us to talk about his network's big bet is CBS Entertainment President Kelly Call. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Leslie. Okay, so... You guys have now had a couple days to look at the early returns for this. I, I'm curious what your perspective is on the ratings based on expectations and what you guys have seen that sort of gives you cause for optimism or concern, whichever it is. Okay. You know, I think we knew going in based on what we saw in the UK and what we've seen on other territories and you know, knowing the audience we wanted to reach for this is, you know, uh, younger, female, you know, knowing that had to be the base of the audience to get the show to a great point, we knew we had a little bit of a challenge in our hands. That's not an audience that tends to watch a ton of live TV anymore. And, you know, we certainly know CBS is not the first place, you know, they, they gravitate toward when they're looking for new programming. So we knew we had our work cut out for us a little bit. A lot of our, you know, promotion was on the, you know, the social front, on the digital front. And, you know, that is what uh, the, the real positive we're taking away so far. The social engagement has been, you know, off the charts. You know, we've kind of trended top four, top five on Twitter each night. The Instagram traffic is great. Facebook traffic's great. We're seeing a lot of delayed viewing. And so I think the way in our heads we thought this would come together is, you know, a slow build over time um, to get us to that point where, you know, there's a ton of buzz about the show and eventually people would feel the need to, you know, watch it live. So, you know, so far the, you know, that plan seems to be working pretty well. 
Can you talk in a, in a larger sense about how big of a bet this is for CBS? I mean, not just betting on this IP, but then to strip it five nights a week for four weeks. I mean, I think the last show I remember doing that was Million Second Quiz over at NBC, and we see what happened to that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the bet was in jumping into the show. We didn't want to change what was making, you know, the show great in the UK, what resonates with audiences, that it's, you know, it's right there for you every night. And I will say, you know, doing it in July is, you know, it, it's, it probably takes the pressure off a little than trying to do it in, you know, September or January or something like that. So, you know, we've, we wanted to stay true to the format. We wanted to stay true to, you know, has, what has made it successful in other places. You know, this isn't such a hugely expensive bet that if for some reason things don't work out for us that we've you know, crushed, crushed any future we have. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a not cheap, but it's not Game of Thrones in terms of price. Yeah. And, and it's a little bit easier, as you said, to do this in the summer versus, you know, when NBC tried to use Million Second Quiz and launch that launch its fall season out of that in, in September about five years ago and it failed miserably. So, you're, you know, mm -hmm. to your point, there's fewer, a little bit easier of an expectation here in July. Yep. Well, you come from a scheduling background from that perspective with your sort of former scheduler hat on what goes through your mind when you're thinking about a five night a week stripping process for a show like like does that make you flinch or are you kind of excited by playing around with scheduling in that way no it's kind of fun it's it's you know this this was the kind of thing as a scheduler and and you know i i've, I've never kind of you know stopped looking at the schedule or, or playing with it this is the kind of thing that makes you excited we opted for eight o'clock because we wanted to have kind of a clarity of message every night. Yeah, and, and eight o'clock was kind of the easiest place on our schedule where we could do that, where we could drive people to, hey, every night, eight o'clock, seven central. Also at eight o'clock makes it a little easier for delayed viewing for the rest of the night. You know, you can record at eight and, and watch it a little later. We know, you know, tons of people do that on kind of a regular basis with all kinds of shows. And, uh, you know, we've seen it certainly on our other alternative shows as well. Well, does the eight o'clockness though, does it put specific restrictions that the 10 o'clock hour wouldn't have in terms of anything that you can or might want to show or have people saying? Not really. I think, you know, this is, this is, you know, we're pushing, you know, we have standards people out in Fiji and we're doing everything up unto the line of what our standards people will allow. You know, I think a lot was made of it that, you know, OK, you can't be as risque as the the UK show. And, and that's probably true to a degree. But, you know, after, after seeing a few episodes, I, I don't think you can say this isn't a sexy show or that we're somehow, you know, squeezing the life out of it. On, on the contrary, I think we're doing a show that we're, you know, really proud of. And that is a, you know, not the same as the UK version, but certainly very much in the spirit of the UK version. Well, I was seeing you the past couple nights tweeting about the show on the East Coast time. I was curious, was there any consideration to airing it live coast to coast just to kind of eventize things a little bit more, give people on the West Coast the chance to watch it at five if for some reason that's how they wanted to spend their afternoons? Uh, fun idea, but logistically a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of trouble with the affiliates. So fun idea, but uh, maybe a little bit of a bridge too far. Yeah. You know, in a larger sense, why was this a format that, that you guys pursued so strongly? And 
can you talk us through a little bit of your strategy to kind of hinge so much of the network summer on this on this show? Well, I think it uh, in large part, we just saw kind of the excitement and, you know, engagement it was having with audiences and, and then, you know, the, the, the growth pattern over several years. And, you know, people are anxious to compare it, you know, our first few days with a British show that's, you know, now in season five. But, you know, and, and it took a little while to get there. And it's going to take us a little while to create not only the awareness that it's there, but, you know, really create that buzz. And I, I you know, I think it's starting to get there based not just on, you know, social media, but the, you know, the, the press. You, you, you guys called me and want to talk about it. It's great. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that's what appealed to us, in, you know, in, in the summer and in TV in general, in this in this kind of TV marketplace, you need shows that, you know, not only people kind of tune in for, but, you know, get excited about it and can kind of create their own attention, create their own energy. That's what excited us and, and you know, really made us want to take this swing. Yeah. And, you know, look, Big Brother is a huge hit for you guys every summer. How do the early returns on this and what you've seen from from your other summer programming, like Million Dollar Mile and Instinct and Blood and Treasure, which I believe is already renewed, really yep. fit in with what your summer strategy is this year and, and what you're learning from that that for that you will consider for next year? I mean, you guys are also airing season one of The Good Fight from CBS All Access. Sure. Uh, you know, our summer strategy is really kind of a, you know, not too different from in season. We like to have a balance. Uh, we like to have a strong reality presence. You know, in, in season, we, you know, we obviously have Survivor. We have Amazing Race. In the summer, we've had Big Brother. Those have all served us, you know, really well. But, you know, we haven't stopped looking for kind of, you know, the next franchise. And that's kind of what we're hoping from Love Island. As far as the other shows, we also like to have something, uh, you know, we like to have some scripted shows on that maybe appeal to more of our traditional audience. Elementary does that. Instinct does that. Blood and Treasure was a lot of fun, and we're excited to be bringing that back next year. So I think balance is the key word, you know, no, no matter what time of year it is. Now, you've talked about the logistics of kind of the quick turnaround on this. Is it so complicated that it's simply not possible for there to be, say, a version of this with more swearing that airs on pop, a version with a little bit more flesh that airs on CBS All Access? Did you give consideration to how you could use sibling networks to kind of repurpose this content? We've talked about it a little bit, but, you know, as, as you alluded to, it's it's hard to uh, it's an enormous undertaking just to get it ready for CBS every night. Right before before we, we spoke or are speaking, we were just on the phone with Fiji watching a cut of tonight's show. And, you know, the the, the way the show kind of lays out and where Fiji is, you know, basically, if it happens Thursday in Fiji, it happens Thursday night on CBS. And it's a enormously tight turnaround to kind of cut edit and really polish these shows to have them you know up and ready to go every night so we certainly had some support from our sister networks like pop and i think pop is you know maybe even considering doing kind of a a, a wrap-up show or a discussion show about love island but airing the episodes with a different format is probably a, a little too tough a task and just the last and most important question of all, who are you rooting for, Kelly? 
Uh, I'm kind of into Zach and Elizabeth right now. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're they're kind of the I th- I think they're the they're the cute couple that I, I you know based on what I see online I think I think we're all rooting for. So we'll see. But she might be asked on a date tonight from uh, from somebody new. So you you I I, I don't know what's going to happen. Wrapping things up, have you already started thinking about season two of this for you guys? We haven't even finished the first week, Leslie, but, you know, I will say I I am enormously proud of our group and I'm really proud of these episodes. Like I said, they they capture, I think, the spirit of the British show really well. Our partners at ITV have been amazing in in what they, you know, have delivered. And I I think we are starting to see signs that it's catching on out there. So we're, we're excited. And, you know, if we grow it the way we hope, then uh, a season two is we, we, we have our fingers crossed. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Love Island airs Mondays through Fridays at 8 p.m. on CBS. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Number five. As usual, we wrap things up with Critics Corner. This week's new arrivals include season two of Sweet Bitter on Stars, the final season of Suits, and its spinoff Pearson launch on USA Network. Dan, there's just really not a whole lot this week. It, it truly is the summer doldrums. What you got? Well, I, I think this is, in that case, the perfect time then for us to preview this weekend's interleague baseball series between the Dodgers and the Red Sox, because I can't think that there's anything actually better than that on TV for the weekend. So how are you feeling going into this weekend as a Dodgers fan, Leslie? I feel really good, Dan. My family will be in Boston rooting them on. Corey Seager is back from the DL or from the injured list. AJ Pollock is back. David Freeze is back. We're up and running full roster for the first time since April. How are you feeling? Uh, less good than that would be the, the easy answer. I, it would be hard to be particularly excited about the Red Sox in the first half of the season, even if they're now comfortably above 500, but they're not. They're now a few games out of even the second wild card spot. So something is going to have to go really right in the second half of the season. And I don't know if it's going to be as simple as Nate Eovaldi coming back and suddenly becoming a superstar closer, which seems conceivable to me, but I don't know if it solves all the problems. And lest I, you know, I'm almost afraid to say this out of fear of jinxing us, but Joe Kelly looks like the man who beat us in the playoffs. He's been razor sharp the last couple, his last couple outings. Placement looks good. Pitch selection's good. Seems like he's got his confidence back. I don't know. It'd be something amazing to see if he actually was able to shut down Boston for us. I, I can believe that. I, but on the other hand, uh, a little bit like that joke. If you don't like the weather, uh, wait twenty. Wait two hours. It'll change. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you if you like Joe Kelly's performance, wait two hours. Yeah. We we have a little uh, Dodger thread that uh, that calls him Joke, as in J O and of his first name and K E from his last name, but. Uh, It's a little, you never know which one you're going to get. I see the hilarious wordplay you guys have at work. So anyway, uh, those those are the things that people that I'm going to be watching on TV this weekend. And I'll be watching this weekend. Um, As for what there actually is to watch, it's really, really slow. The first season of Sweet Bitter was fairly mediocre. I probably will tune in for the second season for an episode or two, but I don't really know why. I I like a lot of shows on Stars. honestly. That just happens not to be one of them. I don't care all that much about suits so i'm not really gonna be watching pearson um so i think there's a lot of things sort of catching up so for example i'm looking forward to the third episode of what just happened on fox because i still don't know what the show is and eventually i feel like i have to figure that out or else maybe something's wrong with it (laughs) have you watched any of that particular fred savage vehicle i have not it's just fine it's it's kind of 
halfway between being four different things. It's not quite a parody. It's not quite a satire. It's not quite a straightforward comedy. It's not quite a talk show. I really don't know what that show is. But you're still watching, which is good for them anyway. I'm curious. I think at a certain point, I would like to have an answer for what the show is and what the show is that they're producing. It's not making me laugh all that much, but it's occasionally interesting. Like last week, they had Vince Gilligan on as a guest to say nothing. It was kind of, well, he basically, the joke was that Vince Gilligan directed an episode of this fake TV show. The Flair. Of The Flair, exactly. And so the entire conversation is Fred asking Vince Gilligan for spoilers, but then backtracking and deciding he doesn't want spoilers. And each time Vince Gilligan starts to say something, Fred Savage goes, "Ah, no, wait, don't spoil it. And so that's what it is. So Vince Gilligan gets out a total of maybe two complete sentences the entire time. And I guess that's amusing. (laughs) I mean, it's amusing that they got Vince Gilligan to do it. Sure. And then they also had Kevin Smith, but who was also there basically to promote that another Jay and Silent Bob movie is coming out in October. Very odd. I don't, I don't understand it. And so I will be looking forward to a third episode of that. And that's a pretty dismal thing to say that I'm looking forward to. Thus, maybe this is a good weekend for people to be catching up on things ahead of Emmy nominations on Tuesday, have I mentioned you should be watching Rami, etc. Yeah. What else have you been watching, though? What did, did you watch uh, anything interesting over the July 4th break that wasn't embargoed? Um, most of what I watched was embargoed. Uh, I watched the new Aziz Ansari comedy special on Netflix, which makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I, it, it feels... It feels like community service. It feels like someone told him, if you want to make a third season of Master of None, you have to at least address the things that happened to you in the last year. And then he said, I don't have anything to apologize for. And Netflix said, "Okay." And so it's kind of half him acknowledging it and then half him saying that people on the Internet take things out of context and that we shouldn't believe anything we hear or read. And so a little uncomfortable, not his funniest material, though I laughed a couple times, Um, but I, I still like Master of None, and so we'll I, see. I like his stand-up. I haven't watched this one yet, though. It's it, it's a little angry and dark and bitter, and even in the parts where he's not alluding directly or indirectly to the things that happened last year. So, yeah, I I think it's we're we're in a we're in a slow television moment, but don't worry, it won't last too long. Yeah. Well, that feels like a good place to wrap things up. Thank you for listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. If you like us, be sure to check out THR's other wonderful podcasts, including It Happened in Hollywood and Josh Wiggler's TV genre focus look called Series Regular. And if you really like us, you should definitely subscribe to us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. If you really, really like us, be sure to rate us. And if you really, 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 is that enough reallys? Really? Like us? Exactly. You should uh, review us because that's the kind of thing that uh, that gets new listeners. If you want to say hi to us, come say hi to us on Twitter. We like hearing from you. And if you have any questions for us, you can reach us at TV's Top 5. That's the number 5 at THR.com. We'll be due for another mailbag segment soon. So with that, until next week, Leslie. Until next week, Dan. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.